Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 14. This week, it's Terry's turn to share something that she's found interesting. What have you got for us this week, Terry? Well, Daisy, I know sometimes I find a two-hour-long podcast episode, and I want to tell you everything that was said in it, (laughs) but this week's a little different in that it's really something I listened to that made me think about my own beliefs about a topic and my own clinical work around this topic and hope that we can just talk about it in that way. So I did listen to a podcast episode, and it's one I've never listened to before, and it's called What's Working? And it's from a group called Med Circle, and really they're just looking at different wellness topics. And one of the guests they have on there, or one of the members of the team, is Dr. Judy Ho, and she is a uh, neuropsychologist. This episode was Four Reasons Why We Self-Sabotage. And I find in my own personal life and in my work as a psychologist and now my work as a behavioral coach, self-sabotage comes up multiple times a day as the pressing pressing (laughs) theme. So I thought, oh, this is a great topic. So one of the things she talked in this episode that I thought was really important is she talked about the idea that self-sabotage is universal. It's biologically driven. And I think sometimes people, they almost identify themselves negatively because they say, I self-sabotage. I'm a self-sabotager. And so not that anyone shouldn't feel unique in this way, but the reality is it's very common. Even highly successful people that you watch and you can't imagine, they also do some self-sabotaging. And so one, just to kind of normalize it. And then work to understand what causes our self-sabotage, and then further into that, then what we can do about it. She talks about the idea of self-sabotage, and she's come up with, by doing some research on the topic, she came up with an assessment that you actually can take if you go to her website, and she's narrowed it down to four reasons why we self-sabotage. And she uses the acronym LIFE, L-I-F-E. So the first one is L, which she refers to as low self-concept or shaky self-concept. So if I'm working toward a goal, but I have an underlying sense of myself that really says, I don't deserve to do well in this. I don't deserve this result. This isn't something I can actually achieve. Then obviously, as we start to make effort toward it, we're going to interfere. We're going to change our behavior to not reach the goal because we don't believe we deserve it or that we can do it. The next one to me sounds a little similar, and you're going to hear a theme through this that I'm going to talk about. The next one is I, and that's for internalized beliefs or traditions. And this would be beliefs or traditions that we learn And you and I have talked about this before, but we learn ways of making sense of ourselves in relationship to others in the world at a very young age. For example, if you grow up in a family that struggles financially, you might learn people like us can't have financial abundance. It's a limiting belief that we carry. And so again, if I create a business, but I'm carrying this belief I probably won't follow through on the steps very easily because my belief says it's not really possible for me. 
the next one, F, is fear of uncertainty. And oftentimes when we have a goal, we don't really know what the outcome will be like for us. And so that creates a lot of fear for us. I tied this together with a thing I learned long ago about achieving something. I believe it can be either or or both for any of us at any time, but either a fear of success or a fear of failure or both. So if I fear that if I reach my goal, what will happen then? I don't know myself as a success in that thing or having reached that goal. And so that brings up fear. And then the one that most people can relate to is the fear of failure. If I find out by making these attempts that I can't do this, then I will feel bad. And as you and I have talked about before, our one of our main drives is to avoid threat, avoid pain. Failure, obviously, is a very threatening feeling for most of us. And success can also feel threatening. If I lose this weight, what will I have to do to keep this weight off? So it can spark fear. And then the fourth one she talked about is E, excessive need for control. So for people who are working toward a goal or working toward something and they have a very high need for control, the fact that there may be some aspects to this that they can't control tends to throw them off base and they would rather revert back to the comfort of what they know. Mm. And so they self-sabotage for that reason. So I think when you think about the self-concept and the kind of internalized limiting beliefs... I think it's also important to recognize we have different areas in our lives. We have a financial part of our life. We have a relational part of us, an academic part of us, an athletic part of us, or whatever those things may be. And the reality is that we can have different sense of ourself or our abilities in each of those. I might think very well of myself academically, but not think well of myself health-wise. And so even though you may be a confident person and a successful person, if you don't really kind of look at these areas that are problematic for you, you still could struggle with self-sabotage in those that you carry a less positive sense of self. In listening to all of this, it made me think of my other frame of understanding this. And this is the term of cognitive dissonance. And to me, the way I understand that is we have a tension when we either hold two opposing thoughts that really can't function well together. And so we have to kind of let one go. And oftentimes what will happen is we will go with the one that is easier or more comfortable. Or if our belief and our actions are out of alignment, that creates cognitive dissonance. So again, We have to change one or the other. We change our belief or we change the behaviors. So if my core belief is that I'm not good at math, but I want to take a grad program that involves some fundamental math classes that I'm going to have to take. So I start taking the classes, but I stop showing up for the classes. I don't turn in assignments. What's happening is completing the tasks and my belief that I can't do it because I don't have this skill are incongruent 
and that causes a lot of tension. So I change one of them. So I sabotage by don't do the behaviors that would help me achieve this goal. So again, that idea that when our core belief and the goal and the steps toward reaching that goal feel incongruent, we have to change one. So we either change the behavior or we change the belief. And then the other example is if it's just two beliefs, we have to let go of one. So an example of this with two beliefs might be something as simple as, let's talk about sugar for a second. So if my belief is that I can't live a fulfilling life without sugar, but I also believe sugar is an addictive substance that is interfering with my health. They're very contradictory beliefs. And again, if I'm not really aware of this and willing to work with it, I will most likely fall to the one that is the easier one. It feels better to keep sugar in my life, be comforted by it, do this, and try to ignore or put in the very back recesses of my brain the damage that it's causing. Or do you fall into that? Is there sort of self-sabotage there that you you let go of it in the sense that you start labeling yourself as an addict? I'm a sugar addict, Mm -hmm. which is why I can't get it out of my life. And so to me, it's another way of looking at cognitive dissonance. If I identify as a sugar addict and you tell me for my health, I should quit using sugar, that's incongruent with my belief. My belief is I can't do that because I'm addicted. Mm. Now I know that especially with this example and many other examples, if it were only as easy as you and I are saying it right now, (laughs) we wouldn't even be having this conversation. It's really complicated. These core beliefs have been with us for a very long time. They've been reinforced thousands of times. And again, that desire to avoid threat or discomfort. And when you've talked about this before, At some point, we get more comfortable with identifying with the problem, that it's almost comforting to say, oh, I don't really need to do something about that because I'm a sugar addict, versus saying, I have an addiction to sugar, and I can work on that. I can change that. I can figure out ways to do it differently. But I think going back to the idea of self-sabotage, when we're doing it, I hear people say this every day. They're like, I don't get why I'm doing this. I know better. But oftentimes, it's not the stuff even that we're super conscious of. It's not like I have a peanut allergy and I grab a Snickers bar knowing full well that the peanuts are bad for me. Oftentimes, the way we self-sabotage are things we're not even aware we're doing. The opportunities we don't take because we don't think we can achieve a goal. Mm. The behaviors we only do partially because we don't really have confidence that it's going to be worthwhile anyway. And some of these things, I guess, are things that we've internalized from society, Mm -hmm. cultural things that have been pushed on us. Absolutely. So I think in looking at, again, this idea of cognitive dissonance is helpful in understanding, I believe, its role in self-sabotage. I'll share another example of cognitive dissonance. When I was a teacher, I taught middle school in the beginning of my career. 
And I had a student who was doing very poorly in my class. And I think, as I reflect on it, I think I was one of those teachers where if you were putting in your hard work and effort and showing some commitment to what you were doing, you were going to do fine grade-wise. And every marking period, she would get a failing grade. And I, I really felt like in my class, you almost had to work to not get a passing grade. One day she came to class and she had all of her stuff and she was working on something and writing and showed it to me. And I got so excited. I said, oh my gosh, look at this. This is great. You're a good writer. And the next day she came with nothing and she did nothing all hour. And I think in this example, my feedback conflicted with her own sense of self. I'm not a good writer. I'm not a good student. And if doing this behavior of sitting here and doing some writing and showing you proves me wrong, I have to change one or the other. So instead of changing her belief, she changed the behavior and she stopped producing again. Mm. Yeah, that's a very (laughs) clear example of self-sabotage. So it's this path of least resistance. Yeah. And self-sabotage based on that cognitive dissonance. Mm. The feedback she got for that behavior totally contradicted her sense of self, her own limiting idea of herself. And rather than suffer that, she changed the behavior and stopped participating again. And is that the crux of it? Is that the element that usually wins out that probably negative belief about yourself? Is that the one that is usually the one that holds on. It's the other one that gets sacrificed. Is that the one that is usually the last one standing? I think so, because it's the one that, if it's a longstanding belief we hold about ourselves, we don't even have a sense that it could change. Mm. But we can easily stop doing our homework. We can, if we think that we're not going to have a positive relationship with someone we're interested in, we can not call them and ask them out. Like you said, that's the path of least resistance. Because otherwise we'd have to completely change or we feel like we would have to completely change who we are at our core. Mm -hmm. Is that the nature of it? Is that our feeling of it being that? That's where we're sort of getting it wrong. It's this sort of grossly Mm -hmm. over-exaggerated feeling that it's something we have to hold on to because it's our core nature. Right. Of course, it probably isn't. And as we talked about in an episode a couple weeks ago, it's really about these core beliefs that we carry with us are based on ways we interpreted things from a very young age. And so they're really not accurate. They're things that we learned to think when we were six or five. So how do we change it? One, you have to identify what is the belief that gets in the way. Mm. So for example, if you have a limiting belief about money, again, as my example, I said, if you grow up in a family that struggles for money, it may be difficult to see that money is available for you. And so really having to work on that versus I'm just going to keep focusing on these outside behaviors to really spend some time working on what is my belief about this. And if it's a negative belief, work on changing it to a more positive or at first a more neutral belief. Financial abundance might be available to anyone. 
that's a little more positive than thinking it's not available to me. And then maybe I can get to a place where I can start to take it in as more possible for me. But we have to recognize what the belief is that's getting in the way. I think another piece of self-sabotage is having to spend some time assessing how much in alignment a goal or a task is with how we want our lives to be. Because if I say I want this, but I keep self-sabotaging and and preventing it from happening, one other important question I think we should look at is, do I actually want it or do I feel like I should want it? Mm. Do I feel pressured to do this thing? Is it actually the right goal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she does this on her website, and it's, it's a common practice that you can find, but it's a it's called a values card sort, and it's just that you have life values on a card, and you can just kind of arrange them in order of importance. And then as you look at these, so if a value is honesty, integrity, wellness, mindfulness, whatever, then you can really see, am I basing my goals on my values? Mm. Because I think it you know, probably makes sense then. We're going to work a little more toward our goals and maybe have to interfere less with our efforts if we're working in alignment with our values. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, so kind of it's like doing a listening exercise of do I listen to what's in me, mm. my thoughts, my beliefs, my values versus those that I feel like I'm supposed to have or that have been just handed to me. So what's the best way to identify if you are self-sabotaging in the first place? I mean, sometimes it's obvious, but you mentioned those times when it's not so obvious. Mm -hmm. How do we figure out that that's actually what's happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, why things aren't maybe aren't going the way we expected them to or we hoped they would. Mm-hmm. How do we identify what it is we're doing that's self-sabotaging? So I think maybe two parts to that. One is there are times when we're pretty aware we're not getting where we want to be. We might not understand why or how, but we know this isn't, how I envision my life being. This isn't the life I'm trying to create. I wonder what's going on. If that's the case, then I think it's important to start looking at maybe looking at the values. If I want to live my life differently, what are my core values that would help me with that? Looking at her assessment of what are the reasons why we might be self-sabotaging. If I'm more aware of the idea that I am self-sabotaging. I'm saying, I want financial abundance and I keep spending every dollar that comes in as soon as it comes in. I hear that that's me self-sabotaging. Then I think it's important to look at some of the topics we talked about today. Is there some cognitive dissonance going on between what I say I want and value and what I'm doing? because then that can help us figure out which things should we work on changing. Also, the idea of exploring in a non-judgmental way, but I'm curious, I say I have this goal. Is there anything that scares me about reaching this goal? Anything that's uncomfortable about the idea of reaching this goal? This comes up often in my work with clients, but let's say, for example, my goal is to lose weight. But my fear is that if I lose weight, 
How will I be known then? How will I know myself? What if I get attention that I'm not comfortable with? And so again, it makes self-sabotage make more sense. I am protecting myself from getting to the uncertainty, possibly threatening things that could come from succeeding. And then again, the flip side of that, what are my thoughts about what if I don't reach this goal? What's the threat of that? So I think it's really kind of to sum it up, Daisy, to think about, are you happy with how different areas in your life are going, how you're doing in them, goals that you have or things that you're striving toward? Are you reaching them? And if not, consider the idea of, am I holding myself back? And again, not from a judging and blaming point, but just I've learned to hold myself back for these various reasons. Let me see if I can uncover it so that I don't keep holding myself back, so that I can feel empowered to achieve whatever I want to be achieving. And figure out why, because you, as you said, there could be a good reason when you were talking about losing weight. And it's something that I didn't see coming at all. Absolutely blindsided me. And it's something I was seeing a counselor at the time and I worked through it with him, but I couldn't understand why everything had been about losing weight. When I lose the weight, everything's going to be great. That's going to be the answer to all my problems. And we've already talked about in another episode how that's problematic in itself. But I did lose the weight. You know, I started losing the weight. I lost the weight pretty quickly and I felt bad. I started feeling really bad and it took me a while to figure out why. And it was exactly what you said. It was the attention. People started looking at me differently and I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And of course, (laughs) as it always does, (laughs) or always seems to, goes back to something in childhood. When I was seen that way and something bad happened. And so it blindsided me. I didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. People looking at me in a different way, often in a sexual way, seeing that side of me that I'd hidden literally behind a wall of fat. Mm -hmm. And they started seeing that side and I didn't like it. I felt threatened. And yeah, so Mm self-sabotage in that way, in a kind of way, is a good thing because it's a protective, it's a defense mechanism. It's something that you do to protect yourself. But it's being aware of that and digging into it and working on it and figuring it out, resolving it so that you can then move on. And remember, go back to what we said in the beginning and again in other episodes, we want to avoid things that are threatening. Mm. We're very smart that way. Unfortunately, some of what we feel as threatening we were less able to manage at the time when it happened because we were five or 10 or something. And so even to be able to say, okay, at that time, that brought me great pain, but I'm 48 now. Do I have different abilities to keep myself safe? Do I have different abilities to handle discomfort? So even though that same thing might feel threatening, if we can give ourselves the opportunity to recognize our strengths now, meaning that it won't have to be replicated in that same way. We don't have to self-sabotage. We don't have to protect ourselves in that old way Mm. that we needed for so long. 
I have another quick example. Worked with this lovely client for a long time and just recently came to an understanding that perhaps part of her way of keeping herself in a state of depression was based on a belief that she learned early is that she had seen people in her life die who were happy. Hmm. And so somehow made sense of when you're happy, that's when it will end. Wow. And so her brain was smart and said, well, then trust us, we're not going to get happier. That sounds dangerous. That's a good way of looking at it, actually, and, and really digging into it is making that assumption that your brain is smart. There's a good reason mm-hmm. for the self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it through that lens, you'd sort of take out the self-blame side of it. You know, self-sabotage sounds like, well, that's something you're doing to yourself, so it's your fault. Yeah, it sounds like a weakness. If you start thinking, no, this is my brain actually kicking in. That's a good thing. To protect me, that's a good thing. It's just that it started manifesting in a way that's, yeah. that's starting to be damaging. Absolutely. It's a good thing. It's a good thing I learned how to do this and how that I can protect myself. Mm. And now that I'm at this stage in life, I can protect myself differently. What once felt threatening might not be so threatening now. Even the idea that some of those ways of making sense of things just aren't really true. You know, that example, it's not true that when people get happy mm. right after that, they're going to die. Some, sure. But when you're younger, you interpret things differently. Yeah, and you kind of forget that that question is there. (laughs) It's only when you actually write it down or ask yourself that question that it dawns on you. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's ludicrous to think that. And I think with self-sabotage, unfortunately, what a lot of us do is we just kind of clamp down harder. Mm. Well, I'm not doing well in this goal, so I'm just going to have to make the steps even harder to do. (laughs) I'm going to become more rigid about it versus let me step back and explore what might be driving this. Why might I be interfering with my progress? And like you said, which is really hard to do if we're blaming ourselves for it and Mm. calling ourselves stupid or weak for doing that. But instead to say, wait, I'm getting in the way here. I wonder why I would be doing that. Let's see what I can understand about that. Well, it's the whole defensiveness thing, isn't it? And shame and contraction instead of expansion, instead of being Mm -hmm. open. You just start shutting down when you start feeling things like blame and shame and Mm -hmm. you just, you can't be open to starting to potentially change some of these beliefs that might be harming you. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that any listeners who have thought about or have identified doing some self-sabotaging that maybe they would check out this author's book. Her name is Judy Ho. Her book is Stop Self-Sabotage. Think about the topics you and I have discussed here today, Daisy, like thinking about the cognitive dissonance or fear of success, fear of failure. And really just give themselves time to understand their behavior rather than condemn themselves for it. And in doing so, I hope that they can make it an even better week. Enjoy yourselves, everybody. And you too, Daisy. 
yeah, be kind to yourselves and have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>